I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. I'm joined today by Alex Wright, the co-founder of Dash Water, the soft drinks brand doing its bit to cut food waste by saying yes to produce that others say no to. Its mission is to make drinks that taste good while raising awareness about food waste. One bashed up berry, curly cucumber, and lopsided lemon at a time. And five years on from its launch, Dash Water is a rising star in the soft drinks industry, sold in more than 6,000 UK stores and 20 international markets, with Victoria Beckham, Robbie Williams, and Ellie Goulding, all fans of the brand, to tell us more about an entrepreneurial endeavour with a purposeful heart. Alex, welcome to Changemakers. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Absolute pleasure. I love it. I drink it. Tell us about it. Dash Water. So for those who haven't tried Dash, we founded the business just over four years ago. And this year, so 2022, we'll sell nearly 20 million cans. Um, We're now in 7,000 stores, and that's because we've just launched into a a really exciting new retailer that I haven't quite told you about. Uh, It wasn't public knowledge when I was coming on. Exactly. (laughs) We started the brand for a very simple reason, that Jack and I, we both... So Jack is your co-founder. Exactly, yes. And we both grew up uh, in the country. So, So myself, West Sussex, Jack from Shropshire, surrounded by dairy or arable farms and saw just how much food goes to waste across the Western world. So to put that into a statistic, on average, 30%, well, 40% now goes to waste and doesn't make it onto people's plates. Mm. So we saw this firsthand and were keen to upcycle the fruit and veg from the farm source uh, and to repurpose it into a value-added product that would mean that these fruit and vegetables that are rejected by the supermarkets can go to a really good source. So these are the bashed up berries, the curly cucumbers and the lopsided lemons, plus, plus, plus. Exactly that. Yeah. So there is a fruit grading system that goes on. Um, So if I use cucumbers as the example, there are four grades of cucumbers. The first two grades go to the supermarket shelves that are perfectly straight, don't have any blemishes, uh, are the right weight as well. And then as you go down the scale, they get more bent, more crushed, more knobbly, but they still taste delicious and have the same Mm. nutritional value. And so why should we put so much resource into growing this fruit and veg if it would just go to waste purely because the aesthetic look? So this is something that Jack and I uh, identified as a problem and also saw the soft drinks market, which was full of either sugary and artificially filled beverages and thought, great, well, why can't we produce a perfectly healthy soft drink without any sugar or sweetener? Whilst infusing this fruit and veg that we would buy from farmers, that is the lower grade, the grades threes and fours, into tasty soft drinks. So now we've got a range of six soft drinks, raspberry, peach, blackcurrant, lemon, mango, and also cucumber as well. And then we've got a range of soda water mixes so the soda water mixes, um, they have the same premise as dash water, but they're perfectly designed for mixing without any sugar or sweetener, infusing wonky fruit. Brilliant. Let's go back, because I think there's a lot of things you've you've raised in your opening thoughts. I think we need to sort of probably unpack a bit. You said that 40% of fruit and veg is going to waste. So that means for every four pieces of anything you pick up, you know, berries, fruits, whatever it might be, for every 10, sorry, you pick up, four of those pieces are, are, are finishing up in, in the bin. I mean, it just sort of makes you wonder how on earth have we got here where A, that level of waste has become socially acceptable 
And as you say, so much of this is about an aesthetic choice rather than a, nutri- a nutritional choice. I mean, I, didn't, I, I wonder how you feel about, you know, the supermarkets and the societal relationship with fruit and veg. Well, it, it is a staggering statistic. And I think there are, there are two problems here. The, the firstly, the input. So what's the resource that goes into making that fruit and veg? And secondly, the output. So starting with the input first, there is a huge quantity of resource, water, electricity, uh, human manpower, uh, capital investment that mm. goes into growing fruit and veg. Uh, and there is a huge amount of waste that, go, that, uh, that, that, doesn't, that isn't fulfilled there. And then the second thing is the output. And so if uh, food waste was a landmass, then it would have the third largest carbon output of any landmass globally after China and the US. So it's a it's a huge issue. A huge uh, issue. But, but it's also such a terrible, you know, natural waste, isn't it? I mean, I, I, mean I, I grow sort of imperfect vegetables. I've got two lime trees at the moment where I'm just looking at those little limes growing. And I'm sort of thinking, well, you know, the amount of limes that just get tossed out of the fridge into the bin. And when you think about the actual miracle of nature producing this sort of, you know, bounty for us all to enjoy. I mean, the macro stats aside, there is a micro tragedy, isn't there, in terms of just something that's gone through a natural cycle that just finishes up in the bin. Absolutely. It's it's a huge waste and something that not only us as a brand are going to be able to fix, but other brands, consumers will be able to really create a movement that is able to educate consumers Mm. uh, about the issue and hopefully in turn reduce that 40% right down. You've got to wonder in sort of 10, 20 years time, how people are going to look back on on this when, you know, when things like, you know, Jamie Oliver's kind of, you know, wonky veg recipes were seen as quite niche and quite quite out there in a world where, you know, we're we increasingly going to struggle to feed ourselves. I mean, I wonder, you know, to what degree did the farming background that both you and your, your co-founder, Jack, Jack Scott, you talked about the kind of West Sussex Shropshire farming environments that you both grew up in. Do you think those were seminal in terms of your appreciation of nature and your your I guess your appreciation of perhaps the work that you could do in business to do good things around it 100% I think it's very tricky to understand what resource goes into making something uh, unless you are there you're able to see it firsthand great example of this is um, when Jack was growing up in his school holidays he would help out grading the potatoes on his family's farm the supplier at the time that they were selling it to would only take the perfectly graded potatoes. And there was a huge amount that was wasted just at the Mm. farm gate. And so being able to see uh, what goes into uh, growing the potatoes and then seeing them go to waste, then that is able to give one an appreciation of uh, exactly how much resource uh, ends up going to waste there. I mean, you were to go on to become a financial analyst with Accardo and, and a sales manager with, with Causton Press. I can see, you know, the steps that get you closer to, to creating Dash. But what what sort of gave you the sort of, I guess, the trigger? What 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 was the trigger to think, you know what, I don't want to be an employee i'm going to be an employer i'm going to create i'm going to create something i'm going to do something how, how did you both kind of get to that moment of activation if you will in terms of saying right there's an idea here we're going to go for it put it all on the line it was certainly an iterative process rather than one where we suddenly had 
the great idea and thought, let's go for it. It was a journey of, okay, um, we've got a really good idea. Originally, it was a little bit far-fetched because at first we wanted to use the fruit and veg on Jack's farm uh, and be able to can the spring water that was on Jack's farm as well. We didn't realise that canning spring water would cost about £5 million uh, and that's a huge amount of capital investment. So once we had the idea, uh, we left our jobs. Uh, I was at the age of 24 and we would do a lot of sampling around parks in mm. London. So we would give consumers on, our, on the weekends a little taste of the liquid uh, for dash water, which is essentially just wonky fruit chopped up, infused in spring water for about six to eight hours and say to them, look, would you swap your usual sugary or artificially filled soft drinks for something like Dash? And interestingly, when we did multiple samplings and the same consumers came back the next week, they said, oh, you're the guys that use wonky fruit and veg that's rejected mm -hmm. by the supermarkets, rather than, oh, you're the guys that are producing a soft drink without any sugar or sweetener. Uh, the latter, the no sugar or sweetener part, was unique on the market in the EU at the time. No other soft drink was flavoured without sugar or sweetener. And the part that they remembered and loved was the wonky fruit and veg part. So that's when we really right. started to bring that messaging to the fore. So this this is the sunny uplands. This is how you get it right. Did you, did you ever fear you were going to get it wrong? I mean, you know, you talked about taking on, you know, multi-million pound investments. I mean, what did the tough nights feel like in terms of, you know, have I got a winner or not on our, on our hands? We originally pitched the idea to Virgin Startup, who were absolutely amazing. And they gave us a bit of cash um, and also an amazing mentor, a guy called Ben Keane, who's been an incredible supporter along the journey. And along the way, having investors who are value-add to the business has been, has been able to support us and steer us in the right direction. So uh, our current chairman is a chap called David Milner, who was the CEO at Lily's Kitchen, Pet Foods, Tyrrell's Crisps as well. Uh, we've also got the ex-marketing director, Dan Germain from Innocent, mm. the founders, Sam and Fairfax from Sipsmith. But it's really having those people has allowed us to then have the right mindset and be tenacious to achieve well, our So let's, let's go into that, because I suppose these are, if you like, how you create the armour around the entrepreneur. You know, you get, you get the right investment, you get the right partners, you get the right advisors, you get the right team. But there is also the drive to try and create a business with real impact. And I guess the forks in the road where things may not be the greatest day, or you may not get the yes that you wanted from a contract or those sorts of things. I'm wondering that, you know, in, in a business where I would imagine discussions about purpose are, you know, perhaps as strong, if not stronger than the progress of profit, how do you keep a sense of, I guess, the true north, following the northern star, keeping true to yourself, keeping true to these founding ideas that, you know, this is going to be a kind of waste, not want, not business. Well, I think it's the reason that we started Dash in the first place, which is to have that higher purpose of infusing this rejected fruit and veg and giving consumers a fresh perspective to soft drinks. So th those are the guiding principles that we always live and die by. Then we have our brand values that are written on our wall, uh, tattooed on our hearts, and we live by every day. Simplicity um, and transparency, I hear, it, are well up there. Exactly, yes. Something that we really want to try and make sure is that every day we live and die by these values. And it's very easy for consumers to 
see-through brands that uh, divert along their journey and don't keep that that North Star at heart. I think today, consumers are able to, uh, they have more transparency than ever. Consumers more than ever will pick up a can, turn it around, look at the ingredient on the back of the pack and try and dig into the brand's purpose. So if you don't have real consistency in what you do as a brand, then you get found out very quickly. Mm. You've obviously sort of, you know, right from the get-go targeted the Planet Organics, the Whole Foods, you know, the businesses that, that I guess would get it in terms of the business that you were you're building. Now you're moving on into businesses that may have a whole variety of competing priorities in terms of how they look at their suppliers and what that what goes onto their shelves. I mean, do you get a sense that the purpose debate has mainstreamed over the five years that, that you have been in business? Or are there still hurdles to jump on, on this in terms of persuading companies that, look, this is the way forward? There has been considerable process, uh, progress made, big, big progress. I remember when we originally pitched Dash as a concept five years ago and said that we were a brand with purpose, the retail buyers would say, well, that's great. But what we really want is a good margin uh, and quite a lot of customer investments go into it as well, mm. which is what the, what the larger players were doing. So that's why we built the brand the way that we did, which is having a laser focus on let's partner with the right retailers who can in turn tell the story the right way. Right. But but, but I mean, I've interviewed both Renee Elliott, who founded Planet Organic, and John Mackey, who created Whole Foods. And what I can tell you about them is that they just get it here. They don't need to be persuaded that alongside profit, you can be purposeful and you can do good things. It starts, you know, chapter one of the story is we want to do good things through business. And they still stand out as brands that are, I suppose, remarkable in the sense that we still remark upon them as being unusual and and different. What I'm trying to get the sense of is that do the bigger players now have that driving sense of activism in terms of that they can be the change they can actually do more than just the day job in terms of the impact that they can create i think they're certainly heading in that direction but there's still a long way to go i think the larger multinationals and obviously i'm painting with a very broad paintbrush here so Mm -hmm. excuse that but they are mainly led by the consumer and the consumer most of the time will be looking for a convenient and cheap offering that fulfills a function. However, what we need to do as brands is be able to offer something that can give a fresh perspective as the norm that might cost a little bit more for something that has better quality, more healthy ingredients, and also is made in a more sustainable way, which is not always the cheapest way to do things. Do do you have red lines in terms of, you know, the sort of ethics and ethos that you expect from the people at Stock Dash? For the people that stock Dash, we certainly do. Yeah, yeah. It's the way that we it's where the way that we built Dash in the first place is being ultra selective by making sure that we partner with the likes of Whole Foods, Planet Organic, who are able to represent the brand in the right way, tell the story. Because then, when we're listed in more mainstream supermarkets, consumers would have come across the brands and would already understand the brand's value and would be happy to pay a little bit more for Dash because it's a premium product using quality ingredients, sustainably made, because they've already tried it and loved it before. Mm. I noticed on your excellent lockdown list, and we'll get we'll get on to it, but, but one of the people that's inspired you is Charles Rolls from Fever Tree. I've also interviewed Charles, actually. I mean, a great story of a driving business that has done incredibly well. I mean, is it just the story of 
you know, growth that gets you? Or is there something more in terms of the, you know, your admiration for Fever Tree, which I also noticed your co-founder Jack has has mentioned as, as, as a brand that inspires him also. Charles is a fantastic chap and has been a great mentor. We love the Fever Tree brand. That's because they are true category disruptors. Schweppes had such a large market share of the mixing category, but they weren't offering a great quality mixer. And Fever Tree came in uh, and within the space of 15 years since launching have, be- have become a huge global brand and great success. So what I love about the Fever Tree story is that category disruption that they were mm-hmm. able to perform versus a really big incumbent brand that wasn't offering a great product. And you're right. They had an enemy in sight in Schweppes. They had a they had a kind of a, a target. When you're creating in effect a new category where it's not tonics and soda waters, but in but something completely new, how do you get that same sense of we know when we're winning? Good question. I certainly don't think we feel like we're winning at the moment. It's still very much an uphill battle versus the big brands. In our category, we are the number one brand. We've got a 35% share of total category value sales. However, we're up against big players like Nestle, Britvic, and they've got quite a lot of cash to invest in uh, really winning over those retailers to give them more distribution. So one way that we get around that is through a a, a very uh, sophisticated direct consumer network. So online as a total proportion of our sales accounts for 45%. We sell about 11,000 cans every day online. And by that way, we're able to bypass the retailers and have that direct relationship with consumers. Mm. That direct relationship with consumers is also about how you encourage change, isn't it? And, you know, I was reading you know, some of these great ideas like smell by dates rather than sell by dates. And, you know, just this completely different relationship with natural produce that we're all going to have to undertake in the future. But as you rightly said, I guess it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. So if you were to look at the chapters of change in terms of what you're trying to help affect, what do you see as the essential next steps in terms of bringing the consumer with you on this journey? I think it takes both brands, retailers and the government to combine together in order to create a network effect that is able to raise awareness about issues. Education is the number one thing that will uh, help drive change. So if you look at, for example, the tobacco industry, no matter how high the government puts up taxes, people still buy cigarettes. But the number one thing is consumer education that has caused change there. And so it's a combination of of those three factors that will help. You started this business in your mid-20s. You know, a young entrepreneur building a young business. How early on in your journey did you think I could do something? I mean, was, was this something you'd been building up to or was it the kind of lightning rod note? I think that we always wanted to use this fruit and veg that would otherwise uh, be rejected by the supermarkets. It was only a matter of time that we were able to create uh, a business to do it. But, but you could have done that with going and working for a, an NGO or you could have gone and worked with a, with a Whole Foods or whatever. I mean, you chose to go your own way. So my my sense is more about asking about the entrepreneurial activist in you in terms of when did you sort of feel in your life that actually 
you wanted to be part of the answer with some of the things that you did and, and business might well be a tool to help you achieve it? I think from a very young age, I think I've always been one that uh, certainly is motivated by action, speak louder than words. I find many other businesses talk the talk, but they don't actually put that into practice and be able to deliver change. And mm. that's the guiding principle of Dash. What, but I suppose in what I'm sort of thinking about is that, you know, I think about my own life experiences that I can think about people and experiences and moments that almost stand out as these kind of like photo album of my, of my own internal life about the things that influence me along the way that gets me to here. And what I'm thinking about is that when you're a very young person that says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a category defining business. I'm going to do something that nobody else has done before. That takes a great deal of courage and it takes a great deal of commitment and it is very unusual. And I suppose what I'm trying to think about is the kind of the attitude that gets you there, not only the kind of the, I suppose, the, the idea that you're working with, but what gives you the guts to go for it, I guess? I think mixing in a bit of naivety there as well. I think if <laughs> I think if, if, if I'd realised how hard it would be, it, it certainly would have taken me a little bit more time to pluck up the courage to do it with my co-founder, Jack. But certainly that attitude to get on, do stuff and not just think, okay, well, I could join a business that is doing some of this pretty well, but actually thinking we can do it much better. Let's go for it. What would you tell your mid 20 year old self now that you know what you know, if you could tell him then? Don't think about it too much. Get out there. Don't overthink it. <laughs> don't, don't overthink it. Put something out there that is not perfect. Don't overthink it. Test, iterate and learn and then put something out there that you have developed feedback on. So it's that continuous evolution loop. Mm. Now, I've been looking at your your great lockdown list, which which accompanies this episode. And I was thinking, you know, we could talk about Arsenal Football Club and their season. We could talk about your, your excellent music list, or indeed the fact that your vegetable patch has never looked so fruitful. But I'm going to end our, our interview talking about two things. One is your best tip for life, and the other is your quote for life. Now, I don't know if you if you can remember what you sent to us. I'm very happy to read out your best tip. Do, do you remember, Alex? Tell me again, remind me. Okay, well, I mean, it does include an expletive. I'm probably going to have to sort of, for for viewers' ears, I'm going to have to be sort of a little bit careful that. But surround yourself with like-minded people that give a so-and-so about the stuff you're collectively trying to achieve. Tell us about that that tip. Well, I'm glad that you read the quote rather than me putting a very good uh, blank (laughs) in between. Look, I think what we're trying to do uh, at Dash is we're trying to surround ourselves with with the best people. The quote that I love is we're trying to fill our very small tent with the best quality people mm. and that driving change. So some people might say, well, then you create an echo chamber, don't you, if, if everybody's like-minded and they think the same. I mean, how, how, much, how much do you put into the importance of diversity of thought? Super important. Diversity of, of thought and background is, is really important to make sure that we don't just have the same homogeneous ideas that are coming through. And it is acting like an echo chamber. Mm. And your quote for life was, if you have an idea, get it out to the world. Don't be afraid. What's the worst that can happen? Because the upside could be life-changing. D- dig into that a bit for us in terms of what a listener might do when they when they listen to something like that, That just what they might do next. Don't strive for perfection from the off. I think far too many people get caught up in trying to make something ultra perfect and then have the fear of not putting it out there in the first place. If you've got a great idea, there's never been an easier time to put up a website, to get something branded in a very basic way, 
then to test the idea and then to learn and then to try and perfect mm. it further down the line. Do you feel you've ever made a really big mistake though? Do you ever, do, is there anything you just think, oh, either that cost me or that was, I got away with that? 100%. Happens, happened pretty regularly. What's but the biggest for you, do you think, and, and Dash? Back in the day, it was not finding, not being able to find the best people to create our beverage. Dash is a very simple product to make. You'd be amazed with how many bad manufacturers are out there. We spent a lot of time, resource, and capital being able, not being able to produce the drink in the right way. Mm. So that was a, a mistake that I would have loved to rectify by found, finding our current flavorologists. You know, when I, when I think about this quote, if you have an idea, get it out to the world. I'm, I'm also thinking about the sliding doors moment of if you hadn't done this, you know, if, you know, I'm thinking about the the other Alex Wright story, the, the analyst at Accardo and having gone on to do sales at Causton. Do you think you would have always finished up in a space like this? Or do you think it was just that you had this kind of lightning bolt idea surrounding this very particular idea about the relationship between fruit and veg and how you might turn that into a great drink. Whether it was us creating, Jack and I creating something in beverage or another category, I think we always wanted to use this fruit and veg. So that was only a matter of time. But the way that we uh, went around our professional journey before gave us a great grounding to be able to start the business. Mm. What an interesting story. Alex, thank you for sharing the story of Dash and also, you know, bringing to life this this terrible blight of waste that we see and about how you can do some really positive things with it and how you can build a great business out of it. So Alex Wright, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Great pleasure. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?